0: You're listening to audio from Mercy Hill Church of Port Austin. To learn more about us, you can visit mercyhillpa.org. An embassy is a body of representatives sent to a foreign country to represent their home country's government. And if you've been coming here for a number of years, you know I've used that illustration before um, as a kind of a modern-day example of what the church is supposed to do. Sometimes... The embassy is confused with the chancery, which is the building in the foreign country where the embassy operates together, similar to today. Sometimes the church, we we call this the church, but the church is us, not the building. Um, And the actual embassy is a body of representatives, a body of people that represent their home country's government. And just like the church is a body of representatives, and we're called to represent God, Christ and his kingdom. An embassy has delegated authority from their sending country. They can speak for the sending country. They can represent them in diplomatic relations. They can verify citizenship of members of their sending country. They can spread positive awareness for their sending country, depending on where they are. Sometimes they're not allowed to do that. Um, But I've talked about this before. But again, this this is a great example of what the church is called to do today in terms of our nature and our mission. I've told you this before, but our church is a lot bigger than just our church. Our church is part of a network of churches called the kingdom of heaven, and it's spreading like wildfire all over the globe. And so it's just an awesome reality. I want you to picture heaven for a moment. Um, Picture this awesome kingdom of light. So this is kind of heaven. Um, Some of you are really bad at picturing stuff. We were talking about that yesterday, but but, but picture this for a minute. This is heaven, this kingdom of light, and then picture earth, this kingdom of darkness. Okay, and next month in in Christmas, we're going to celebrate Jesus, the author of light, coming from the kingdom of light to this kingdom of darkness. And so now there's this little burst of light in the darkness. Jesus lives the perfect life that we could never live. He dies on the cross for our sins. He rises again triumphantly. And by the way, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, the offer is here today for you to come to Jesus and be saved. But Jesus, after he resurrects from the grave, he gives his spirit, he sends his spirit to this group of people, this group of disciples called the church church. And this church is like a little embassy now of Jesus and his kingdom and and where Jesus was the light now this church is the light because they have the, his spirit And they push back the darkness together and they start to spread the gospel. And we see the book of Acts. We see all these little outposts of light, outposts of the kingdom of heaven spreading like crazy all the way to the point where we're here today as Mercy Hill Church, a little outpost, a little embassy of God's kingdom here in a dark world meant to shine for Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And so so that is what we are called to do, to represent King Jesus and his kingdom, We're an embassy. We're a body. That's why we're called citizens of heaven in Philippians. That's why we're called to be ambassadors of Jesus. We represent him. We're an embassy called to represent Christ and his kingdom. We do this by living lives that display the glory of Jesus. We also verify citizenship of members of the kingdom and we do this through baptism and church membership. When, we, when you come and you say, I'd like to be baptized, we ask you a few questions. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he's the king? Do you trust in him alone for your salvation? Are you committing to his body? And, and then we baptize you. When we do that, we're actually verifying your citizenship as a kingdom, as citizen of heaven. Pretty awesome, and then we invite you into our fellowship, into this local embassy that represents Jesus. We give you a, a jersey, if you will, called the Jersey of Team Jesus, and we say, you're a card-carrying member now of the citizen of the Kingdom of Heaven." And so membership is, is a big deal here. We also are called to spread the good news of our sending country. We do this by advancing the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations through international missions. Now, again, I bring up this illustration because it's a great example of what we're called to do. And here in Hebrews 13, we're finishing up this list of commands. And if we're not careful, sometimes we can take this list of commands and, and just kind of turn them into a checklist and separate them from the why. Why are we called to do this? And, and I, I broke these commands into six categories. And in a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the first three and I, I said, we need to do this because of who God is. And now we're going to look at the last three and say, we need to do this because we want to represent God well in this place. We want to represent Jesus and his kingdom well in a dark and dying world. So when you step foot into the assembly of Mercy Hill Church, whether we're gathered on the beach in the summertime, whether we're gathered here, whether there's a lot of us here or some of us out of town, when you gather, when you step foot here into the assembly of Mercy Hill Church, you're stepping into an embassy of heaven. Here, we bow to King Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He is our sovereign. We submit to his laws as given in his word. And by his grace, we attempt to reflect his character in the lives that we live. So again, the, those, last three, those, those last three clusters of command uh, of commands in Hebrews 13, where we pursue love, we abstain from sin, and we remember our leaders. All right. This week, we're going to look at the end of this passage, and we're going to look at these three. Partake in grace endure with Jesus and follow our leaders. And so let's look first of all at the first little command here, which is partake in grace or if you prefer feast on grace. That's what I had in my notes at first, but I was like, they're not going to understand that until I unpack it. And so I used kind of a more nuanced word, partake, but man, you're after this, you're going to want to feast on it, okay? Not just partake of it, all right? But look at verse 9. He says this. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Just an important reminder for us that we need discernment as Christians, because there's a lot of diverse and strange teachings out there, especially on YouTube, okay? And so before you just start listening to some YouTube guy, um, maybe just send me a text and be like, is this guy okay? All right, just, I'm not the author of what's okay or not, but I'll, I'll filter it through scripture, okay? But, but I'm just saying, we need discernment. Then he, then he kind of highlights this, this specific strange teaching having to do with, with food, which is weird. He says, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. Now you might be thinking, what in the world is he talking about? And to be honest with you, we really don't know for sure. Um, And I read a lot of commentaries this week to confirm that we really don't know for sure what is he talking about here. But the best guess that I came across in my studies is that there were these cultic Jewish feasts that took place during this time. And there were historical records that discuss these, these Jewish get-togethers, these feasts, where they actually believed that these feasts brought a measure of grace to those who would come to the feast. Now, remember our audience. They're a group of Jewish Christians who have now been alienated from the Jewish community, separated from them. They're, they're now identifying with Jesus and, and they're struggling. Like, should we go back? And they're feeling alone and abandoned and isolated. Some of their families have completely turned their backs on them. And so now they're not allowed to go to these these Jewish feasts. So it kind of makes sense in context. And, and what he's saying here is that we don't need to be part of those, those strange, diverse teachings about these feasts that are going to bring you grace in some way. That's just food. What you need to feast on, what you need to partake in is grace. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And we've got all the grace that we need in Jesus Christ. And so look at verse 10. We have an altar From which those who serve the tent, even the priests themselves who serve the tent, have no right to eat. So here he compares these Jewish feasts to the Christians' feast, And we have this altar. We have this place where we can go and not feast on physical food, but feast on grace. He continues in verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. So here the preacher is referring to the high priest sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. So you need to understand there are some sacrifices with the Jewish rituals that they could bring and they would sacrifice them and the priests were allowed to eat some of them. But on the Day of Atonement, the entire sacrifice was brought outside the camp and the remains were completely burned outside the camp to to kind of be a picture of sin being completely consumed. OK, and so so as we've seen throughout this book, we know that those sacrifices, they were just shadows, right? They were shadows pointing to the substance, which is Jesus Christ. And, and so what the preacher is doing is he's taking that picture on the Day of Atonement and he's applying it now to Jesus. He's showing its fulfillment in Jesus. He's saying just as that animal was brought outside the camp and burned as a picture of forgiveness. So Jesus also went outside the camp and there he suffered the excruciating death of crucifixion. For us, in order to cleanse us with his blood and set us apart as people for his own possession. Here's what's really cool about this. Jesus went outside the camp. And when the Israelites, when they considered what was outside the camp, that was unclean. That was away from God's presence. Because the closer you got inside the camp, you got to the very center of the camp, which was the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. Jesus went outside the camp so that you could go inside the camp. So that you could go to the very holy of holies and be in the presence of God himself. And there Jesus prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. This altar that the Jewish priests don't have any, any right to go to because they're not Christians. He prepared this feast that we can go to any time that we are weak. Any time that we are hungry. Any time that we are needy. And you know what we'll find served on this feast? Not these physical foods that promise some sort of grace if you eat them. No, no, no. We'll find grace at the table grace upon grace upon grace, as much grace as you can feast on. That's what he's giving us here, a picture, a feast of grace. In chapter four, the author puts it this way differently. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So kind of to summarize, if you're a little bit lost, basically here's the point. They were not allowed to go to these special feasts with their family and their friends that they thought would offer some sort of grace, but he reminds them of the privilege we have to go directly to the throne room of God and find grace to strengthen us. He says it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. So the application is really simple. These Christians may feel neglected. They, they feel like they can't go to these special meals anymore, but that's okay because they have this meal that even the Jewish priests can't partake in, and it's a feast of grace served morning, noon, and night. And this feast is most clearly seen in the Lord's Supper. Some people think he's alluding to it when he talks about this altar that we have that they can't come to because the Lord's Supper is only for believers. So how do we apply this? Because you probably don't have any feasts that you're like, man, I wish I could go there so I could get grace, right? You're not not struggling with this. And so how do we apply this? Well, really, to put it simply, feast on grace every single day. Tomorrow, when you wake up and you pour yourself a big bowl of Cheerios, don't forget to pour yourself a big bowl of grace. Every single morning, preach the gospel to your cold heart. Remind yourself of the new morning mercies that were purchased for you. When you wake up in the morning and you feel like Satan is sitting on your head and you feel like, how am I supposed to live for Jesus today on a Monday? You pour yourself a big bowl of grace and you feast on it. You preach the gospel to yourself. You remind yourself of these new morning mercies. You remind yourself of the good news of the kingdom, that God loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And there's nothing you can do about that. And guess what? He actually likes you too. He delights in you as his child. And so, so we feast on that good news given to us in Jesus. The, the Cheerios can feed the outer man that is perishing, but the grace will feed your inner man that is being renewed day by day by this grace. Do you see what he says there? He says, it's good for the heart To be strengthened by grace. That is our strength. That is our nourishment. That is what we feast on as Christians. That's what we feed on to get through this this broken, sin-cursed world. It's grace all along the way. And so every single day, every moment of every day, know that you're welcome at any time, when you're hungry, when you're needy, when you're tired, when you're worn out, when you're discouraged, to go to this table that even the priest couldn't go to. You can go to this table and you can feast on grace. Listen. When you're a crummy parent, feast on grace. When you don't feel like you checked off everything on your to-do list, feast on grace. When you fall into sin, again, run to the cross and feast on grace. That's how we get through this life. And you'll find that your heart, the inner man, will become strengthened by this grace. I've read you this quote probably a million times. Maybe not, but a lot. Um, when I find a quote I really love, I just, I just keep just reading it to you. But it's so good. Listen to this. Scott Smith put it this way. He said, wake up to your friends. So like the first time, I mean, in the morning you wake up, but also throughout the day, you need to wake up to these realities. Wake up to your friends and live today in the knee-buckling knowledge that God loves you as much as Jesus. And there's nothing you can do about it. But abide in it And live out of such a glorious standing in grace. You know why he loves you like this? Not because you're lovely. Not because you earned his love. But because of Jesus. And we're united to Jesus. We're in Christ. And he loves us as much as he loves his own dear son. And so we live out of that standing every single day. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. So let's wake up every single day. I want you to think about that tomorrow when you're pouring your bowl of cereal or when you're putting a Pop-Tart in there or whatever you eat. I want you to be like, I need to eat some grace this morning before I go anywhere. I need some grace. I need the word. I need to remember to feast on grace. So we feast on grace. But secondly, we endure with Jesus. Endure with Jesus. And it's kind of interesting. I feel like this feast on grace gives us the strength then to endure what we're called to do next in verse 13. He says, therefore, he kind of switches the metaphor a little bit. He keeps it, but he switches it by saying, now let us go with Jesus outside the camp, outside of what the Jewish people think is is where we should belong. He says, therefore, let us go to him, to Jesus, outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. In other words, in light of the fact that Jesus has prepared this banquet of grace for us, by suffering for us, let's fix our eyes on Him, let's count everything as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing him. let's focus on him, let's go outside the camp with him and let's share in his sufferings. Let's become like him in his death, so that one day we can rise with him. Let's bear the reproach with Jesus. Let's be willing to be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be abandoned, to identify with our Savior. Let's be people of character in a dark world. Let's share the gospel with our neighbors. Let's go overseas as missionaries. Let's be willing to be different. Let's give up our comfort and our acceptance. Let's bear the reproach with Jesus. Man, what if we had the posture of the apostles in the book of Acts? They get, they get beaten. And they rejoice. I can't believe that we can suffer for the name, for Jesus. I can't believe we have the the privilege of suffering alongside of Jesus. Or or look at Paul in Philippians. What does he say? He says, I want to know him in the fellowship. What is a fellowship? It's, it's, It's a place that you go that you guys connect over a certain thing. So we're a fellowship of Jesus. He wants to know Jesus in the fellowship of his suffering. What is he saying? He's saying there's a sweetness in the valley of suffering. Where you can know Jesus in ways that you wouldn't know him if you always lived on the mountain. Because Jesus is a man of sorrows. And if you've ever been in that valley, you know what I'm talking about. That's where Jesus is. He's this gentle and lowly Savior who loves us and walks alongside of us. And Paul says, I just want to know Jesus. And so I'll go outside the camp. I'll be suffering. I'll be mocked. I'll be ridiculed because I want to know Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. I want to endure with Jesus. So we feast on this grace and then we go into this dark world and be willing to be mocked and ridiculed for the name of Jesus. Because ultimately, we don't have to fit in here. We don't have to find comfort here in the cities of this world. Why? Because we're seeking a city that is to come. An unshakable kingdom that can never be taken away from us. He continues in verse 15 to show what this life of enduring faith in Jesus looks like. It's a life of sacrifice. A life of joy, a life of worship, a life of generosity. Look at 15. It says, "Through Him, that is Jesus, through Jesus, let us then offer, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. In other words, we, we don't have to go and do those Jewish sacrifices anymore because all of those were a shadow that pointed to Jesus, he fulfilled them all. So what sacrifices now do we have as Christians? If we don't have those, what do we do we do now? He gives us a few. He says, praise God. He says, don't neglect to do good. He says, share what you have. He says, these are the sacrifices that are pleasing to God. So in light of the fact that Jesus was sacrificed for us, we should, through Jesus, offer sacrifices of praise to God. In summary, this means we live all of life as an act of worship to our king. And similar to the incense of the tabernacle that went up as the sweet-smelling aroma to God, that's what it's like when we offer these sacrifices, the fruit of our lips, that go up in praise to our King and to our Savior. And notice these sacrifices of praise are continual. In other words, let's wake up, let's eat a big bowl of grace for breakfast, and then let's spend every waking moment of our day praising God for who He is and for what He's done. How would that change your work tomorrow if you went to work with that mindset? I'm going to go to work today, I'm going to endure with Jesus, and I'm just going to praise God for who he is and what he's done. I'm not not going to neglect to do good, I'm going to share what I have because God's been good to me. I'm just going to live for Jesus in this world. How much would that change your perspective? Let's put everything that we are and everything that we have on the altar and offer it to God as a living sacrifice, like Paul talks about in Romans 12. Christians should partake in grace, endure with Jesus, and finally, Christians should follow their leaders. Three, follow your leaders. Verse 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, some of you are a little curious right now. You're thinking, hmm, obey your leaders, huh? What's, uh, what's our leader going to tell us about these verses, right? Maybe, maybe some of you are thinking that. Um, John Piper uh, was preaching on this this last week, and I listened to it, and, and he said this is really hard for American Christians. He pointed out the fact that when someone tells us what to do, we start a war, right? <laughs> We're not doing what you say, King. We're starting a war instead, right? Like, it's just hard. It's in our nature to, like, push against this. Obey, submit, no way. And he said, some of you think of Jim Jones, and you're like, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid, right? Like, like you're not going to tell me to do this. And so let me just kind of put this in context of the rest of the Bible's teaching to maybe calm you down if you're thinking these thoughts, okay? The Bible is clear that Christ is the head of the church. He's the head. He's the chief shepherd. But underneath him, he gives these pastors or these elders, and notice they're leaders, plural, okay? Elders, plural. and every church in the New Testament, you'll find a plurality of elders, which is awesome because we just voted in our last, our first lay elder last Sunday, along with some deacons. And we're going to have a special service in a few weeks about that. But but this is very clear that Christ is the chief shepherd. Underneath him are these under shepherds, these elders and pastors, and, and they are under his authority. And so Christ rules and reigns through his word in the church. But we, as the, as the shepherds, as the under shepherds, we rule through the word. And so what am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. When it says obey your leaders, it only means when we're talking about things that are in the scripture. So if I bring out a big batch of Kool-Aid next week and tell you to drink it, you don't have to drink it. All right. Okay. So maybe that just calms everybody down for a second. All right. But what it's saying is when I tell you what the Bible says and I preach to you the word of God, you have an obligation to follow your leader and to, to obey what the scriptures say. So why is the author bringing this point up here. I think his point is that your Christian life is meant to be lived in the context of this covenant community called the church, where faithful pastors lead you, watch over you, and give an account for your soul before the Lord. In light of this, you should submit to the spiritual leadership of your pastors in such a way that brings them joy and not groaning. All right. It would be a, it would not be a a pleasant thing for, for people to, to, to be just kind of those sheep that are just constantly nagging at their shepherd, right? And thankfully, you're not like that. You're a great, you're a great flock, okay? But he's saying, hey, let, let your leaders lead with joy, <laughs> right? Make it a joy for them to be your shepherd. In other words, do what the Bible says, right? Like, live as, as Christians. Do the things that scripture says. This is another example of the communal nature of Christianity and why this is why church membership is important. You're like, oh, here we go again, Another other little side note on church membership, but just, just hear me out for a second. All right. Who are you supposed to submit to if you're not a member of a church? What leaders? Just any, any pastor just tells you what to do? Like, no, there's got to be some sort of like recognition of who my leaders are. He says, submit to your leaders, obey your leaders. And if pastors, listen to this, to take it a step further, if pastors give an account for the souls in their care, who's included in that list? Anybody who just decides to visit Mercy Hill Church on a Sunday? Man, I hope not, because I see people once a year sometimes, sometimes never again. If, if I'm going to stand before the Lord and give an account for every person who walks through these doors, I'm just going to quit. I'll be honest. That is too much of a task. I don't know some of these people, right? And so you need to get to know each other. You need to commit to this church, to commit to the leaders of this church, so that I can know you and you can know me and, and we can obey these commands, Do you see why church membership is so important? The covenant community is where you fulfill this command. The covenant community is also where you fulfill all those one another's in scripture. Are you as a Christian commanded to to fulfill all those one another's to all the Christians in the world? In some sense, yes, but there's there's a community aspect to it, to your brothers and sisters in your local church. That's where you love one another. Bear one another's burdens. Pray for one another. It also brings us back to our embassy illustration. Members of an embassy in a foreign country can't loosely affiliate themselves if they're going to represent their country. Right? There's a, there's a, clear, there's a clear line for those who are citizens and those who are not. Now, some of you are visiting for the first time. Some of you are, are just kind of, ch- you've been coming for a couple weeks. You're still getting to know us. I'm not, I'm not saying you need to join our church right now. But I'm saying there should be, in your heart, and your mind, some sort of plan for eventually saying, I need to find a church where they teach the Bible, where, where I trust the shepherds, and, and where I can fulfill these commands for my joy and for God's glory. That's what he's saying. For this verse to work, there needs to be commitment. And man, we don't like that in our culture, right? We like individualism. We like freedom. We like no strings attached. But if you've ever committed, you know there is beauty there that cannot be found in individualism. When I married Shannon, I committed myself to her. This was a restrictive and limiting decision for me, right? I said yes to Shannon and no to every single other woman. It was very limiting. It was very narrow. It was very, very, very small, right? But man, that's the best decision I ever made. And any of you who've understood the joys of marriage, you know that there's a beauty and an intimacy and 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 a fellowship there that can't be found outside of that commitment. And that's how it is in any meaningful relationship. Pastor Bob Johnson, who came to our conference this past summer, he illustrated it this way. He said, doctors are responsible for their patients. Attorneys are responsible for their clients. Police officers are responsible for their jurisdiction. Teachers are responsible for their classrooms. Parents are responsible for their children. We understand this in every single other relationship. If you take away the boundaries from any of these examples, things fall apart. A doctor cannot be responsible for everyone or he wouldn't be taking care of anyone. And so what he's saying is this. We need to be willing to commit to a local church where we're all in. This is, this is the local embassy of heaven. And, and I've said this all the time. If there's something about our church, whether it's the time that we meet or you just don't like the pastor. He's kind of annoying or, or whatever it is that you don't like about this church. Then find another church that preaches the Bible that you can get plugged into and be all in for the kingdom of heaven. That's what this is saying here. Let's be a church that is willing to obey this command. So let me just apply this really quick and just ask this question. What, what am I asking you as your pastor to obey? Or to put it at the end where he says, do this with, with joy so they can do this with joy. What would bring me joy as your pastor? Well, let me just unpack that really quick. Get in the word. Read it. Study it. Meditate it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for this church. Pray for your spiritual leaders. Live for Jesus. I'm using my spiritual authority to tell you, live for Jesus. Spread a passion for his glory in Port Austin and beyond. In summary, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself and make disciples. Share the gospel with those who God has placed in your path. That's what I'm asking you to do. Love God love others and make disciples. Uh, That is what would bring a pastor joy more than anything else. And listen, I'm very thankful you guys have been a blessing to me as your pastor. You really have. But the the thing that's going to bring me the most joy and the other elders, the most joy is when you're doing that, loving God, loving others and making disciples. That's what it's all about. So as we wrap things up today, I want to remind you again that we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And in this heavenly kingdom, there is a city. He talked about it in verse 14. It's a new city, an everlasting city, the city of God, the city that is to come. Look at verse 14 again. He says, for here on earth, here we have no lasting city. This is all passing away. But as Christians, we seek the city that is to come. And so to remind you of your ultimate citizenship, of who you represent, and of the hope that you have as a Christian, this is what I want to leave you with today. Seek the city that is to come. I want you to do that this week. To to say, when you wake up tomorrow, eat that big bowl of grace. Say, man, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I want to represent Jesus today. I want to let God and his kingdom shape my identity. Let God and his kingdom shape my values. Let God and his kingdom shape my beliefs and my decisions. I want to stop seeking earthly things and earthly cities. Instead, I want to seek the new city and this unshakable kingdom that is ours because of Christ. Before we close, I just want to give you a glimpse of this new city in Revelation 21. Don't worry, I won't preach another sermon. But Revelation 21 gives a little picture of the city. What what city is to come? What city are we seeking Listen to this in Revelation 21.1. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. There it is. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And listen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. That's the new city. That's where our ultimate hope lies. The dwelling place of God with no more sin, no more sorrow, no more brokenness, no more death. That's what is coming for us as Christians. And so let's live today like that's true. Let's live today like that's our citizenship. Like that's where our ultimate destination is. Let's live as citizens of heaven. Let's seek the new city. Let's feast on grace. Let's endure with Jesus. And let's follow our leaders as we make our way to the new city and the unshakable kingdom of God. Seek the city that is to come.